The outline on the board, in a way, tells the story, big picture story, of Judges chapter 6. Let's say a few things about this. Uh, The cycle that we have become so familiar with, that Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord hands them over to an adversary. We're going to encounter that in the first couple of verses. Israel does evil. The Lord hands them over to the Midianites. What is unique about this particular section is what that oppression by the Midianites looked like is described in more detail here than it has been before. So there's going to be more of a description of that oppression. Then there's going to be a prophet that appears and rebukes Israel. Israel cries to the Lord in response to their cry. Israel sends this prophet, God sends this prophet to Israel to to call them back from their sins. And then Gideon's call, no statement of repentance right here, but still Gideon Gideon is called to his task of delivering or saving Israel. Particularly when we get to this section, I want to ask you what this reminds you of in the Old Testament story. What does it remind you of? What is the uh, background? Where's a similar event that we read to? After his call, Gideon is given a task. His first task as a judge is to tear down the altar of Baal. Tear down the altar of Baal and the post to Asherah. Tear that down and build an altar to the Lord there and sacrifice uh, up on it. The forces of the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east gather. Gideon calls his army together and it closes with that famous scene where Gideon asks God on successive nights to do a miracle with the fleece to demonstrate that he will do what he promised. So, overview of that section. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. The sons of Israel did evil, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Step 1 of our cycle. Step 2, the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. Beginning with verse 2, then we have an, an extensive description of what that being given in the hands of Midian seven years looked like. What did it look like? In verse 2, the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of, the, because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east would go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, oxen, or donkeys. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts forever. 
uh, in number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. So this is an extensive description, verses 2 through 6, of what that oppression looked like. What it looked like was every year at harvest time, the the Midianites would invade. They would invade the land. They were said to be so many in verse 5, it was like locusts. They were absolutely everywhere. They and their camels came in. First time, I believe, uh, in the Bible that camels are used in a battle type of situation or for war. Not sure about that. If you find something earlier, let me know. But uh, the Bible tells us that these camels were innumerable. They came in like locusts, they and the people, and they would take all the grain from Israel. Now, you remember in Judges 15 that Samson is going to set the Philistines' fields uh, on fire. If you did that to an agricultural people, that was utterly devastating. And here they would wait till it was harvest time and they would invade Israel's territory and they would take all of their crops. They would leave no no sustenance. And verse 4 says, they would take their sheep, their oxen, and donkeys. They would take all their crops. They would take their livestock as well. Things were so bad that Israel is living in hiding. In verse 2, they were making dens in mountains and caves and strongholds. So things are desperate in the land of Israel. I've used the illustration before of a person in China that I, a preacher I know visited. and They were in a poor area, an agricultural area. Everybody was farmers because you just had to raise enough to survive. And uh, they told him, if the crops don't come in, we don't have anything to eat. Israel is brought very low by all that happens with the Midianites. The Midianites are taking their crops, they're taking their livestock, and the Israelites are forced to live in hiding, in seclusion. They cry out to God in verse 6, which is the third stage. Israel does evil, the Lord hands them over to Midian, They cry to the Lord. Verse 7, again, they will cry to the Lord. But in verse 7, in response to this cry, the Lord sent a prophet. Now let me ask you here as we read these verses, what does this remind you of that we have previously encountered in the book of Judges? Verse 7, it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian. 
that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and he said thus says the Lord the God of Israel it is I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land and I said to you I am the Lord your God you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live but you have not obeyed me now first of all what does that prophet speech remind you of that we've encountered previously does it remind you of anything Judges 2. Okay, Judges 2, the speech of the angel of the Lord in the first five verses of Judges 2. But here, what can we say about this prophet's address? First of all, he shows his authority that he speaks from God. He says, thus says the Lord. This is not his personal message. This is not simply his thoughts, but he is speaking God's word and God's message. So you see that in verse 7. You also see in this speech, he emphasizes all that God has done for Israel. What God has done for them. First of all, in verse 8, He delivered them from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. Egypt is a house of slavery. They ought to be forever grateful. Remember too that we have said that usually, and again, tell me if I don't explain this well, but usually in the Hebrew language, the subject of the verb and the verb are all in one word. If you have a separate personal pronoun, it is to emphasize that pronoun. Here, you have a separate personal pronoun in verse 8. It is I who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Look at what God has done for the people. He has delivered them from slavery. You see that in verse 8. You also see that in the first part of verse 9. Not only has He delivered them from the hand of slavery, but He's delivered them from other oppressors as well. And you see that in verse 9. He has delivered them from other oppressors, and this would be people like um, Cushan Rishathayim, um, Eglon, uh, Jabin and Sisera, people like this, and he also is said to have given the people the land. He has given them the land in verse 9. This is all God has done for the people. This was not by their strength, This was not by their power. This was God's blessing, God's gift to the people. And even the statement, we can include in that statement, verse 10, when he says, I am the Lord your God. 
God has entered into a relationship with this nation. So the prophet emphasizes his authority. He's speaking for God. He emphasizes that all that God has done for the people. That is the bulk of the address. But because of what God has done for the people, there are responsibilities for Israel. There's responsibilities for Israel. The text says, uh, You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you've not obeyed. Israel's responsibilities was to serve God only, not to serve idols. All their covenant responsibilities are summed up in one word here, or one idea, one command. Serve Him. Serve Him only. Don't worship idols. And again, that that just kind of underlines the fact, what we said, that in the Old Testament, and particularly in Judges, when Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord, that is the preeminent sin. Worshiping other gods. And Israel hasn't done that. In light of all God has done for them, this is their reasonable service, as Paul would say in Romans 12.1. And yet, they have not obeyed, he says. Now, I want to tell you what's not mentioned here. It is not mentioned that after God raises up this prophet to call these people to see their responsibility, it's not said the people repented or wept. That was said back in 2, remember. What said here? What said here? And yet the amazing thing is that God still raises up a deliverer. Yes, the wrath of God is all over the book of Judges. But yes, the mercy and grace of God is all over the book of Judges. And we're going to find it is particularly striking in this chapter. Do you have a thought there or a question on that? Where did the Midianites come from? Aren't they alone? And in, in the, the only place it was mentioned was Gaza or Gaza. Uh, the Midianites, there were descendants of Abraham and his wife or second wife, Keturah. Remember back in Genesis 25 is where they are introduced. They played a part. The Midianites and Ishmaelites are used interchangeably uh, in Joseph being sold into Egypt in Genesis 37. And remember too, who have we encountered in the books before us who was a good Midianite? before. Jethro. Jethro, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is a good Midianite. Um, Do you remember a case before this where the Midianites were not so good? They're the ones that 
Joseph's brothers sold okay. Joseph to. I grant it that there. I grant that wasn't so good. Uh, but I guess I, I was excluding that because I'd already mentioned that, David. Uh, but you're right. That wasn't good. Did you? Balaam is particularly what I was thinking about. Remember, Balaam gets Midianite and Moabite women to commit adultery with Israel back in Numbers 25. And because of that, they go to war against Midian. So Midian has been a mixed bag so far. And they are kind of nomadic people. They don't have, they, like we don't have one nation on the map to which to identify them. They were kind of a nomadic people who had great strength here. Now, we're going to take some of what we just said into consideration. So that was good timing for that question. Uh, but I want us to see Gideon's call. And we're going to read through verse 18 first. And I'll ask you what this sounds like to you. What does this sound like in the Old Testament story? Where do we have a similar account to this? In verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezerite, as his son was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Then he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain till you return. Now, the term angel of the Lord is used in verse 11. In verse 12. Then when we get to verse 14, the Lord looked at him and said. In verse 16, but the Lord said to him. What we'll find is that the angel of the Lord and the Lord are used interchangeably. What does that mean? Is the angel of the Lord God in a physical body or is the angel just acting as a messenger from the Lord? I'm not sure. Uh, in the past, people have found Jesus in the Old Testament here. Uh, do I uh, believe he is in the Old Testament? And in this account, he's everywhere in the Old Testament. But, but I don't know if the angel is an incarnate appearance of Jesus. I, I just don't think we've got the clear proof of that. And, and I think just just take it. As it says, and don't worry about it, uh, is, is what I would suggest. 
But when the angel appears to him, what's Gideon doing? What's he doing? He's what? Second guess. He's second. Oh, he does second guess. You're right. But first... He's threshing grain in a wine press. He's threshing grain in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So usually you thresh the grain out in open air where the wind takes the chaff away and the grain remains. The fact he's doing it kind of in a secret place shows that they're afraid of the Midianites coming in and the Midianites grasping that. And... The angel says to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. He's not a valiant warrior yet. And we're going to find all these things that indicate he's not a valiant warrior. And yet, there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, But one of them might be that the Lord is seeing what he can make, Gideon. The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon... As, as Andrew says, he has second thoughts. This is where Andrew's referring to. He said, if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is with us, where are all His miracles? They, they preached that the age of miracles was over there in the Sabbath synagogue service. There. But think about that. We don't think about the biblical terms, biblical days, them thinking the miracles have ceased. But he says, where are all these miracles that we've heard of in the past. And what does he refer to specifically? God bringing the people out of Egypt. Our forefathers have related to us. They told us how he brought us out of the land of Egypt. And if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, one of the things you see here, Gideon is not taking any responsibility for himself or his people. Why has the Lord abandoned us? We know why, don't we? Because they've done evil in His sight. But also, Gideon is about to become another chapter in the story of what God has done for His people. What has happened to all these great things God has done on our behalf? Well, He's about to do another one in Gideon. But God says, the angel of the Lord says, go and your strength and deliver Israel. Now, you're afraid of the Midianites. You're beating out wheat in a wine press to keep it hidden from the Midianites. And the Lord says, go. Are you going to feel like going? Now, he's afraid. He's nervous. And he instantly recognizes that the task he's just been assigned is a lot greater than he is. And he protests, Lord, I'm the least likely to do this particular task. In verse 15, how shall I deliver Israel? My family is least in Manasseh and I am the youngest in my father's house. Now, if we took that, Do we really think that he is the least in Manasseh? What do we see later to indicate that Gideon probably was a man of some kind of substance? He will be a leader. His father seemed to be a leader. Okay, his father seemed to be a leader. Yes, his father seemed to be a leader. His father seemed to be a leader. And also when he goes to destroy that altar... Of Baal, who does he take with him? 
Ten servants. Ten servants. So his father's a leader. His father's a leader, as Ryan says. As Ruth says, he takes ten servants. So what he's really just saying is, Lord, I can't do it. And I'm not qualified. And I'm not competent. And he speaks of that in the boldest terms. I am the least in Manasseh. And I am the youngest in my father's house. And God's answer is... I will be with you. Doesn't teach Gideon a lesson on self-esteem. He says, I will be with you. Now, what does that sound like? Can you think of somebody else? It's like David? Okay. When God says, you go to Pharaoh and you deliver... And he says, who am I, Lord? And the Lord's answer to Moses was what? I'll be with you. It's common. It's not only in Moses. It's not only in Gideon. It will be later in Saul. It will be later in Jeremiah when he's called to be a prophet. That often when God called these people to great tasks, they protested. And they said, Lord... We are not able. And in a certain sense, that was the right answer, wasn't it? And God's answer though, I will be with you. I am the one who can strengthen and empower you. But I want to tell you this. And this ties in with what Boyd said earlier. One difference, there's a lot of comparisons we can make between Gideon and Moses. But there's a big difference in this respect. The time that Moses was receiving that, the Midianites were his host. He was dwelling in the house of his father-in-law with his wife Zipporah. Now the Midianites are enemies. So that situation is different. But, but many of these points are the same. So they're are some comparisons, many comparisons, and at least one profoundly significant contrast. And the text says, Gideon says, okay, if I found favor in your sight. There's nobody in the Bible that asks for a sign more frequently than Gideon. If, 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 if I found favor in your sight, don't leave until I get back and I'm going to bring you an offering. And we're going to see that in verse 18. Any questions there? Any thoughts, right? Yeah, his, the way he addressed him as valiant warrior, I mean, I have to imagine that he like looks over his shoulder to make sure he's not talking to someone else. Yes. Um, like, I just overlooked that for the longest time, but that God is um, he's very generous in how he speaks to his people, um, yeah. that he speaks to what he knows that they will become. I, I think about like looking at the New Testament epistles and like the things that Paul wrote to the people, like I don't think I measure up to that, but God is, that is God's goal for me, his his vision. Okay, that's good. I was thinking when you were talking, Ryan, about a case in the Gospels. Where is a case in the Gospels where a person meets Jesus for the first time and there's a similar encounter? Really might be a couple. What was that? Nathaniel. Nathaniel is very similar. He says, you know, uh, an Israelite whom there is no guile, 
I was thinking even more though of Peter, who you know is called um, a, a Cephas. Is that his name? Simon? He's called Simon, uh, but he's called Simon in John one, and he calls him Peter because he's going to make him a rock. But Nathaniel is very similar in John 1. You're right there. So you're right. I mean, God is very gracious to him at this case because everything about Judges 6 tells us how afraid he is. And uh, so. I was going to say another something similar is uh, when Gabriel appears to Mary and says, Greetings, favored one. There's not a sense necessarily that she's a favored one yet. And I know that the angel coming under an oak tree made me think of Abraham. Um, that's right. That's lot, right. So. That's right. That, that's a good point. The Abraham. It also should remind us a little bit in Judges of somebody else who was sitting under a palm tree uh, in Deborah in Judges 4, verses 4 and 5. But you're right. That's a good point about the oak in Genesis 18 and making that comparison as well. So good thoughts. Let's look at verse 19 before this. Uh, it's still in this section about Gideon's call. And it says, Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of fine flour, which, which one writer says would be between 35 to 45 pounds. It's quite an offering. He put the meat in a basket, the broth in a pot, and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of the Lord said, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. The angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it the Lord is Peace. To this day it is still in Ophrah of the Abiezerites. So Gideon brings this young goat, this unleavened bread, and this uh, from this, this flour. He, he puts the meat in a basket, the broth in a pot. He does as the angel tells him. He takes the meat, the unleavened bread, lays them on the rock, pours the broth over it. The angel touches it with the staff. The text tells us fire sprang and consumed it and the angel vanishes. In a certain sense, this is an answer to that question of Gideon. If the Lord is with us, where are all these miracles we've seen? Well, this is pretty dramatic right here. I think if I saw that, that'd be pretty pretty powerful. And it's very similar to what's going to happen to Samson later. Is it Samson's parents? Remember when Samson's parents see the angel of the Lord. And when Gideon saw this, when he sees, he still speaks of him here as the angel of the Lord, but when he sees the angel of the Lord, he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And the Lord says, you're not going to die. So he builds an altar and says, 
the Lord is peace. And I don't know when Judges was written in regard to after this event. Because the book of the book of Judges gives a lot of dates, but it doesn't synchronize them in a sense that we can try to find out exactly when someone lived or when this happened. But I take it that the book of Judges was written a good while after these events because the fact in ver- because the statement in verse 27, to this day, this altar is still there. You know, it, it wouldn't make sense if it was just it was written a couple of years after these events. It's probably written a while afterwards. And it's kind of, one writer said it's kind of like a footnote on a research paper. If you want to go check this out, here's where to go. And this altar still exists here. But this is, uh, in a sense, the Lord's answer to where are all these miracles? Where, where are they? And this is not going to be the last type thing like this Gideon's going to see. But his first task is to tear down his father's altar. And his father was a leader, as Ryan mentioned before. In verse 25, the same night it came about, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old. Let me say something. Some of your translations have two bulls involved. Some have one bull in this situation. There are some uh, difficulties with the text here. If, the, if there are two bulls, that first bull is not mentioned again in verse... It's mentioned here in verse 25. It doesn't mention again, but the second bull seems to appear quite frequently. That's a textual difficulty, and we don't know all the answers to that. Uh, textual and translation difficulty, we don't know all the answers, but, but we've still got the basic story to follow. Take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar of the Lord your God on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner and take a, a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken. And it came about because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day that he did it by night. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down. The Asherah which was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar which he had built. They said to one another, Who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. The men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die. For he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah which was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him contend for himself." 
Because he, because someone has torn down his altar. Therefore, on that day, he named him Jerob Baal. That is, let Baal contend against him because he has torn down his altar. So, go tear down the altar of Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole. Gideon was obedient, but he was afraid. And so he went, took ten of these servants, did it by night, because he doesn't want to be called. The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. But he's afraid. He does it at night. And the Bible tells us the men got up early and they are outraged. This altar to Baal is torn down. The Asherah pole is cut down. This second bull, which may have been devoted to Baal or Asherah in some way, has been offered on the altar of the Lord. What were the differences in the ways the altar of Baal, the altar of the Lord looked? I, I don't know everything about that. We don't um, know everything, but they, they know the difference. And they start making inquiry. Who did this? And they find out Gideon did it. They want him to be put to death. Gideon's father says no. Are you going to contend for Baal? Can he save himself? Can he contend with himself? His father seems to worship Baal. But he loved his son more. Now, I hope you got the email that was sent out today Almost all these words are just full of significance here. Um, here's our outline. We'll erase this, hoping that you've gotten this. And But every word here is full of significance. Like in verse 25, we have the word pull down. Then in verse 25, we have the word cut down. But that particular cut down, that's the Asherah pole that is also in uh, verse uh, 26, 28, and 30. So all of them use that term cut down. Also, the term torn down is used... In 28, 30, 31, and 32. So the words pulled down, cut down, torn down, these are three different Hebrew words. I gave you verses where all these words are at some point used... All these words are used for what the Lord told Israel to do to the gods of Canaan. You pull them down, you cut them down, you tear them down. These same Hebrew words are used. Interestingly, too, the word for pull down is used in 1 Kings 19, verse 10, and verse 14, 
for what Israel did to the Lord's altars. They were supposed to tear down the altars of foreign gods and foreign, uh, foreign gods, but they have torn down the Lord's altars. And they are to cut down these images of Asherah. But in 1 Kings 18 verse 4, Jezebel killed, destroyed, cut off the prophets of the Lord. It uses the same word she did to the prophets what God said to do to these false gods. So, so these words have abundant use in the history of Israel. And we find that Israel's not listening to God at all. God says, pull down these idols and cut down these Asherahs. And they're not, and when someone is doing that, they want to put him to death. Now, also, when we get to after all this happens, after Gideon does this in 629, they searched carefully. This word is a common word in Hebrew, but it is used particularly in Deuteronomy 13 verse 14 and Deuteronomy 17 verse 4. In those cases, if there was a whole city in Deuteronomy 13, or if there was an individual in Deuteronomy 17 who worshipped other gods, you didn't just charge them with them and kill them. You charged them, if they were charged with it, you searched carefully and investigated. The same word that's used, search carefully, there is used here. But you see the difference. Here, it was searching carefully for someone who worshipped a foreign god. Here, it is searching for who has torn down one of these false gods that God told them to tear down. And God told them to break down. And they're going to give a death penalty to the one who dared do what God told them to do. In these verses, there is a death penalty for adult for idolatry. I know that that can seem to our mind incredibly severe. But you see, when that isn't executed, what happens? There becomes a death sentence for those who worship the Lord and do as He said. God knows the destruction that sin can bring. And maybe that's part of those warnings in the book of Leviticus. And also the word save is key in this text. If Baal is a god, let him save himself. But Baal cannot save himself. But the same word that's used of Baal and what he can't do is going to be used of the Lord and what he can do in verse 36 and 37. Okay? Look at those notes. There'll be a fuller discussion there and more passages of Scripture that you can tie with it. And I think it'll be helpful to you. Uh, anything that you have right there? Any ideas? On the words or just generally? What was that? On the words or just generally? 
And so, it'll, particularly on those specific words, I think that it will help you. It'll give you references where God used those words of what they're to do to the idols in Canaan. And, uh, and also the word save, it, it's a word we're going to talk about more with the Gideon account. So I just introduced a little of that here. But, um, but in verses 35 through 33 through 35, the armies prepare for battle. Midianites, the Amalekites, the sons of the east assembled. They crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. In Hebrew, it's not the exact same expression as 310 with Ehud. The Spirit of the Lord, it's like clothed himself, clothed Gideon. And it says, Gideon blew a trumpet. And the Abiezerites were called to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh. And they were called to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And they came to meet him. So he calls first his own clan, the Abiezerites. Then he calls Manasseh as a whole, his whole tribe. He calls Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. He calls all these forces to fight. One later that's going to be really mad that they didn't get called is Ephraim. Uh, but Gideon, God has done a lot to ensure Gideon, you go, you fight, but Gideon still doubts. In verse 36 and 37, Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If it's dry on the fleece, and it's, if, it, if there's dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on all the ground, then I'll know you'll deliver Israel through me as you've spoken. He already knows what God said, verse 36. He knows what God spoke in verse 37. If, there's, if, the, if the dew is on the fleece and the ground is dry... And the next morning that happens. Then Gideon asked the reverse. If the fleece is dry and all the ground is wet, he begs God's patience and God says, God gives him the sign. Daniel Block stated that he acknowledges that God has spoken to him, that God has told him this. He seems like a man who is desperately trying to get out of the task that God has called him to. And I don't know that I would be different or that you would be different, particularly when God says go with 300 soldiers and fight an army of 135,000. But you know, i tell you what's amazing about this account. We hinted at it before. But you take all this into consideration is Israel a people, particularly in these verses 25 through 32, did they deserve deliverance? Oh man, everything is turned upside down. The very idols that they were told to destroy, and they were to destroy those who worship them, now they are destroying those who tear down those altars. They don't deserve deliverance. Is Gideon a hero that is just, you know, just a valiant war? Is he a, is he a voice in this darkness? Is he a light? Well, to some degree he may be in a moment, but really not now, is he? 
He's not confident of God. It is amazing that God is wanting so desperately to deliver them. I, I, I like this statement by Block. As we have witnessed so often before, uh, despite the nation's spiritual disaffection, God is more interested in preserving and saving them than they are in preserving themselves. It's a tremendous testimony to God's graciousness to Israel, God's kindness to Israel, God giving them chance after chance. The fact that Israel as a nation survives the dark days, distressing days of the book of Judges is a testimony to Him, not to them. What thoughts do you all have? What thoughts? Sarah? Um, I was just thinking about the two bulls, or one bull or the two bull or whatever. So take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old. And I've got a note that says, they've been oppressed for seven years, so is it relevant that this bull is seven years old? And if they had been, if the Midianites had been coming down and taking the livestock on a regular basis, then this was not only a bull, which in and of itself would be um, a valuable item, but this was one that they had managed to preserve for seven years. Good point. So I don't know if that means anything, but that's the bull that keeps getting mentioned as the one that gets sacrificed yeah. Yeah. as opposed to the other one who may or may not have been sacrificed and may have been just there to pull things down. <laughs> so. Yes, that's a, good, that's a good point about the comparison between the years and the, the, the number of age of the bull. I really hadn't thought about that point, and that is a, that is a good point. Um, doesn't this make Gideon's question why has the Lord abandoned us all that more strange when you see his own father's house what they're doing and yet their parents had taught them that the Lord had delivered Israel and yet it doesn't seem to have much practical difference in their lives and um, so but this is a glorious story. I hate it that I'm not going to be here. Um, hate that. And David gets that great honor. But I, I will give you. I want to give you something to look forward to. Whether I'm, I'm, I, as I'm willing to share with David books on the condition I get it back. Uh, I'm willing to share with him books. But I, there's a great biblical piece of humor in regard to Judges seven that out. But if, if David finishes. I've got to share with y'all afterwards, so I, I, I won't. I won't loan out my jokes. <laughs> okay. God bless you all. Have a good day.